Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. So hi, Kate. I've pressed record now. (laughs) Hi, Marion. We were having a really good chat and six minutes in, I realised I hadn't pressed record. Where were we? (laughs) Uh, I think I started off by saying your bio looked really impressive. Do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, that's right. Yes. And then I played it down because you made me feel under pressure. (laughs) So I said, I'm just a training consultant who works for RICS. (laughs) Come on, tell me all the things that you do, because you've got such a range of things that you've got involved with over the years. Valuation's always been my main plank, but I also do an awful lot of APC training and I'm deeply embedded in APC. And I also am a director in a small residential property company that I run with my husband, housingstudents.co.uk. So I'm sure you can imagine we're having fun at the moment. So I'm both a practicing a residential surveyor. and But when I was a valuer, I was more a valuer of commercial property. And I got involved with the RICS, it must be seven or eight years ago now, left the valuation office, just gave them a ring and offered to do some valuation training. And they bit my hand off <laughs> because I've, I've got a postgraduate qualification and training, which is quite rare. Most people who deliver training are really great surveyors, whereas I'm more, first of all, a trainer. So that was that was the start of it, really. And since then, I've written a lot of training material. I've written two books, and I'm on third or fourth edition of each of those. And I really, really enjoy my job. It's a lot of fun helping people to achieve their professional goals. And you're also a trustee for Lionheart. That's, oh, I always forget that one. Thank you. (laughs) Take two. Yes, I am. Um, I've only been doing that for about a year, but I absolutely love it because we're making a huge difference at a really difficult time for surveyors. And I'm already the awkward one on the board who keeps saying things they probably don't want to hear. But we've really stepped up in the last few weeks and we've set aside millions of pounds to help surveyors who are struggling. And, you know, so if anybody listening to this is struggling, I would really encourage you to phone Lionheart. The contact officers will just take you through some questions, which is our standard grant criteria, which we've just flexed a little bit for this situation. And they can help you not just with financial grants, but with emotional support, coaching, counselling, signposting to various other mental health issues as well. They're a fabulous organisation and I think we're really lucky to have them. Yeah, they really are. And they do everything properly. Do you know what I mean? They're no fly by night. They've been around 130 years. The chief executive is a fantastic, dynamic and fairly young woman. Well, I say fairly young. She's the same age as I am. (laughs) (laughs) She just looks younger than you, does she, Kate? She looks a lot younger (laughs) than me. Davina will be loving this listening to it. (laughs) Yeah. But her team are absolutely fantastic. So it's a properly run charity. And I've been involved with charities before and this one is is completely different. I've already done loads of training courses and I feel that I'm, I'm in a good place to really make a difference. And they tend not to laugh when I make my stupid suggestions as well. <laughs> you just mentioned there about training. You're a trainer first yeah. and then a surveyor. Have you always been like that? No, I, I, say, I say that because that's something that resonates with me that I've always struggled with am I a surveyor or not? Because I found that actually I've done more 
work that's not a typical jobbing surveyor. I was a, a jobbing surveyor for six or seven years, and then I spent most of my career in claims management, that kind of thing. And I have other skills. But for me, when my career really started to move was when I realised that I do what I do, I just happen to do it in the world of surveying, which I love. Yes. You know, I think that's a really good way of putting it, Marion, actually. I mean, I soon realised I got quite bored with um, doing... I mean, I, I was famous in the valuation office for holding every single job that you could do. And I was in every business stream. And I, I did customer service. I mean, I, I did some qualifications of customer service. I know that's tr- close to your heart. And I managed customer service inquiries and complaints for um, for most of the country for about a year, which was quite an eye-opener. I trained people in council tax helpline answering And then I realized I really liked training and that I was quite reasonably good at distilling complex information into a series of fairly simple points. So I joined the training team after quite a rigorous um, selection process and started delivering technical training. I did that for five years, business rates, commercial valuation, really technical valuation, actually. It nearly killed me, I'll be honest. And then I, I said to my boss, I'm, I've had enough of this being on the road, I'm going to leave. And she said, no, 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 could you, how about taking on the graduate scheme? And I was already an assessor. So I, I took on, we had a hundred graduate surveyors all on the valuation pathway. And I started looking after them and, and it was like I had a hundred children and I really enjoyed mothering them and mentoring them and got gradually more involved with the RICS as I did that. I did my MCIPD postgrad qualification in learning and development. And I only left the VO really because um, I needed, actually I'll be perfectly honest with you, Marion, you know what I'm like. I like to go on lots of holidays. <laughs> and I she does. Work, she does. I wanted to work for myself so I could spend more time on cruises. <laughs> So yeah, that's really why I left. I still think they're a fantastic organization to work for though. But I really, really love helping people to find their way through it. And people get so stressed by the detail (laughs) and helping them to see the wood for the trees is what really floats my boat. And when it comes to doing your APC as a graduate, sort of getting through it, how much of it is it do you think is the technical knowledge of what you need to do, you know, your technical competency? And how much is it just having confidence in yourself and your ability to do it? Well, I know this really speaks to what you do a lot of work on, Marion, and a lot more than you think is having the confidence to behave like a professional. The technical piece, it is important, don't get me wrong, but you'll find any reasonably competent surveyor is okay at that. It's really about getting past that and behaving like a leader taking ownership and the the people who micromanage themselves, you know, and they stress about the detail, that's not what a chartered surveyor does. A chartered surveyor sees the big picture and how it impacts on all aspects of their clients' needs. So really, the things of confidence and eye contact are incredibly important. And I mean, I get involved with audit and APC interviews and appeals now, and we get some very, very good technical candidates who don't get through. And it's mainly because their communication skills are lacking because they're too busy stressing about the things that don't matter as much as they think they do. So, you know, knowing every line of the home survey standard, it might be useful in their day-to-day job. We haven't got time to talk about that in the interview. So we just need an overview that you understand what the RICS guidance is, that you're a safe pair of hands and that you'll put the public first. That's what the Royal Charter is all about a strong focus on ethics and increasingly actually going forward a technical ability with webcams, which I mean, you know, I know that you do this a lot, but for the candidates who are going to be interviewed by Skype for session one, 
they really need to start thinking about practicing those skills. That's a nice little lead in because at Blue Box, yeah. we've been hosting some Surveyor Hub conversations and Women in Surveying conversations. Again, I'll put some links in the show notes, where basically you can come on Zoom and say hello to some surveyors and yeah. have a chat. And it's really informal but a lot of the people who are joining have never used that kind of tech before. That's a huge help for them, Marion, because I did a COVID-19 webinar actually before I dialed in to chat to you. And Simon Rubinson, the RICS chief economist, was talking about the future being much more digital. So the skills that we're picking up now, working from home, do you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up being a mandatory competency the next time we do the pathways, because the world we're living in is changing extremely rapidly. So being up to date is another really important part of professionalism and and having an opinion, know your own mind. You've done a lot of interviews, so you understand the basics of not talking over people and the importance of natural flow. Oh, I'm rubbish at it, Kate. I'm rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, those skills, as you know, they're developed over practice, aren't they? And a lot of the candidates, they just find the webcam even more frightening than the assessors. (laughs) Do you know, I'd never done anything like this before until two years ago. I was thinking about when I first met you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it was about two and a half years ago. I, I'd been thinking about doing this womeninsurveying.com thing. And I thought I'd interview six women and chat about what it was like to be a woman surveyor. And just thought I'd, you know, it was about part of a uh, leadership project that I was doing. And I thought I'd, I'd reach out. And a mutual good friend, Fiona Haggett, has said, you yeah. must speak to Kate. You must interview Kate. And I remember looking at your LinkedIn profile thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, you know, but I thought, no, I'll be brave. I'll do it. And you were ever so kind. I sent you this lovely little, I was looking at this lovely little message. Hi, Kate. Will you see my video? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you did. And we had a, a great chat. You're the first person that I ever interviewed and, and had a chat with. And you made me feel so good about it. Like I was doing something worthy and just, uh, just made it easy. You made it easy. You know, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And I believed in what you were doing and I still do. That That's why we've become friends. And I think that everything that you do with the severe hub and, and all the rest of it, it's such a tremendous way to bring people together that anything I can do to help, I'm more than happy to. Well, we've got a list of things I'm going to put you down for now because <laughs> I do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting you saying about the challenges now with doing a webinar, because when we first had our chats two years ago, that was the first time I'd never ever done anything like that. I didn't know about the kind of technology that was out there. And the way that I learned to engage with that really was getting to know people who work in small businesses because they use all sorts of tech like this. When you work for a big corporate, you're quite limited as to the tech you can use and security and all of those things. But when you work for small businesses and entrepreneurs, they do their own thing. And through some mutual friends, I came across um, Andrew Eggleton. I'll put his name in the show notes. He's a, a used to be a presenter for MTV down in uh, New Zealand and, and Australia. And he, he was sort of running this one-day course. And he talked about a no change of state so very often when we're presenting or talking, you might, you know, talk about your performance zone mm-hmm. and getting your body language right and all those sort of technique things. But he talked about no change of state and to say things like, do you know what, actually, it's quite nerve wracking coming in here today. Almost sort of acknowledging your nerves and where you're at. And when I used to APC interview, I used to watch out for some of those things because they're just what makes you human. Yeah. Human uh, person coming into a stressful situation. The assessors know about it. They will be making allowances and making sure that candidates get a fair hearing because we're there to establish their competence, not their incompetence. 
So my view is always, if it's in there, I can get it out of them. So a good interviewer is able to ask the right questions and give people different angles to come at it. One of the things that my, my new book, which is the residential APC guide focuses on, is the skills of doing that. So it provides help with all aspects of it, from summary of experience writing to the level one knowledge that everybody freaks out about. And I think that the experience I've gained over a lot of years means that I'm quite well placed to just give people a prod in the right spot to make sure they can give the best of themselves in that interview and use the words that the assessors want to hear, the keywords. That's an incredibly important technique. It's not an exam. It really isn't. And, and it drives me crazy when people refer to it as an exam. I've seen it in the Severe Hub, actually, or also on LinkedIn. It's not an exam. It's a conversation. Just ask you what you've been doing for two years and demonstrate your competence through experience. All that knowledge that they're worrying about, that's only level one. And level one isn't nearly as important as you think. Mm. And actually, one of the things I used to say to people was to your, your topics and things that you, you're, you're working on and your, your APC and the things that you put in your, your submissions, actually talk about things that you love, projects yeah. that you've really enjoyed. Because when it comes to a conversation, it's a lot easier to talk passionately and enthusiastically about stuff that you know about and you enjoy rather than stuff that you really don't. Oh. That's so important because unless people inject a bit of energy, the assessors are going to be bored and they're there earning, I think it's about £40 for a whole day gross for an assessor. So I mean, it's not even a payment. It's just a desultory little thank you. Buy you a bottle of wine on the way home and that's about it. But they're there because they're very passionate about it. So the candidate needs to be passionate about it as well. And they need to be properly prepared and they need to be courageous. So not having the energy is a big no-no. And we tend to find that an awful lot of severes fall down on that. So yeah, a big smile makes a massive difference. It really does. Mentioned your book there. Tell me a bit yes. more about that. Well, about, about six or seven years ago, I did the first edition of a commercial one. And basically it takes the competencies, the common competencies and provides links to the important knowledge. It's all in a table form. So it's very brief. Actually, I bet you'll remember, Marion, you know, those revision guides that your kiddies have at school for each key stage, CGP guides, they've got cartoons and things in. Oh, yeah. It's a bit like that. So when my daughter was doing her GCSEs, I remember thinking, these are fantastic. The, the candidates could do with one of these. So I created one and it's got sort of key point, common questions, little thought bubbles, example questions. And, and it's very concise and focused and saves people 30, 40 hours study because everything's in one place and it's very concise. So the idea is to make it really, really easy for them. And the new edition, a third edition of residential is also for valuation and planning and development and rural as provided the competencies match. But yeah, so obviously there's a strong valuation focus in there because that's my strongest subject, but it also covers all the agency competencies, property management, building pathology, things like that. So yeah, rules and ethics as well. So I'm very excited about it. As at the moment, they're a bit slower than usual, but I'm hoping it'll turn up with my assistant in the next week or so. And then we can send the first print run out to the waiting list and they should get it in time to study for session one. Brilliant. <laughs> I know. It's very exciting. It is. Yeah. It's, it's the best one yet, actually. One of the things I've noticed within my side of the fence on surveying is that we have a lot of candidates who qualify as ASOC rates. Yeah. And they struggle to get through to MRICS for lots of different reasons. 
Yeah. Have you any sort of advice or any suggestions for surveyors who are on that route? Because yeah. because for me, it's a qualification. It doesn't mean you're any less... Um, of course not, no. Quali- I mean, like some of the best surveyors I know at ASOP. They I would agree. They have taken a different life journey or are happy with the the level that they've got at and I really hate this sort of them and us hierarchy that we sometimes have similarly with the FRICS bunch (laughs) you know there because you're the oldest in the game although we're trying to change that but it's really really difficult I wonder there is an element of professional pride and you want to feel like you're moving towards something so how can ASOCs move forward or, or what needs to happen Well, there are two main ways to do that. The first is for ASOC surveyors who've got other degrees. So maybe they've got a degree in English or maths or something, and they've just accidentally become surveyors. We've got quite a few of them and they can do once they've been in practice five years professional experience route. And that's just standard APC because they've got a degree. But there's a lot of people who've come without a degree to ASOC and and, and have got less academic qualifications and, and they can get into ASOC without the degree. But what you can do now, or or hopefully soon, is move from ASOC to member via an RICS course, which we're currently piloting. It's the second pilot at the moment. The first one, you know, highlighted a lot of things that needed to be changed. So they brought me in and I changed the course. I'm the course tutor, the course leader for it. What we're delivering is an academic level five course that is the equivalent of the degree element in the APC pathway. And once the candidates have completed it, and it includes APC training and all the competencies, it's all distance learning, apart from one face-to-face, they get to come to the famous RICS APC prep days, which are delivered by me and Danny Medkoff. So I get to meet them. And then at the end, they do their prelim, slightly different deadlines to everyone else as well. So they get a bit more time and then come forward to final assessment. So for people who haven't got a degree, but have been an ASOC for, I think it's three or four years, they can progress that way, but not yet. At the moment, we're still waiting for final accreditation from AQS. And also we need to get this cohort through final assessment so we can check that they are indeed at the same level. I think they are. I'm very proud of them. I think they're going to do awesome things, but we have to wait till they've passed before we can start shouting about it and offering it to the wider public. But yes, watch this space, a very potential exciting development that will give them a career route all the way I mean, I also do Frick's assessing as well. So, you know, there's a chance that you could go from zero to hero, as they say. One of the things, actually, before I came on this call, I had a call from a surveyor who is in that situation where yeah. he's an AFSOC. He, he does have a degree, but he was struggling with finding an APC counsellor. Yeah. And people call me asking for advice and things like that when yeah. I would say quite frankly I don't have a clue I, I do signpost people in the right place but I, I don't get involved in that kind of work and it was really disappointing to hear that you know his APC counsellor hadn't has just really just not bothered or not supported which is a real shame because he's worked really hard to get where he is and having not taken a conventional route what more can employers and more qualified surveyors do to help those who are going through that pipeline <laughs> That's a real problem at the moment, actually, because of the furlough situation. A lot of candidates aren't able to get in touch with their counsellors. And counsellors generally, and I'll be honest here, they're rubbish. I mean, unless you're in a big corporate grad scheme, they've usually got good counsellors. But a lot of the smaller businesses, they're not properly trained. They're not properly supported by their employers. They're not given the time to do it. They're under a lot of pressure. So the whole system is, it doesn't work that well, I don't think. And 
basically you have to persuade another chartered surveyor to sign you off as competent. And that's really all there is to it. I mean, they're supposed to have meetings, but they don't happen all the time. But it's an ethical issue in that you can't go taking on somebody unless you do know that they're competent. Mm -hmm. So while I'll propose or second people, as long as I've met them once or twice, I won't take on candidates for counsellor unless I do actually work with them. So that I think is a really difficult situation for candidates. The regional training advisors used to help a lot, but of course we don't have those anymore. The only thing I can recommend people like that do is contact APC support at RICS.org and Sonia and Georgie can perhaps point them in the right direction for that because they've sort of filled that gap. The APC mentor scheme, it used to be called APC doctors, they're quite helpful and they might be able to help. But I think basically if you haven't got a counsellor, you are struggling. And at the moment, there's no plans to change that. Yeah, I think there's a lot, though, that surveyors can do. And I'm seeing this coming through the Surveyor Hub, where surveyors want to give back in some way and help. Yeah. When we had our conversation, those two years ago, we talked about work-life balance. And something I talk about a lot, actually, is work-life integration. Yeah. In that, yes, you've got to have a balance, but you're a surveyor which means yeah. when you go on holiday, you take pictures of buildings and geeky stuff. we do, yeah. That's what, that's what yeah. we do. And the same goes for now we're on downtime, or say downtime, actually some surveyors I know are so busy juggling kids yeah. and things yeah. like that. I bet. But actually now we've got surveyors who are you know, sort of furloughed and can't work, doesn't mean that they can't get involved with surveyors. Of course you know? not. And, and don't forget that anything that you do in terms of expanding your knowledge, even if that's looking at your lovely pictures on the Surveyor Hub, that is level one. So I think the weighting of the day's experience at final assessment might be mean there's more level one, but it's still experience, you know? Learning is relevant at level one. So as long as they're still learning things, that those days will count. And what I'd like to see is more surveyors who are dipping into the hub or are looking. Actually, you can go into the RICS Insights communities, which they've they've launched now, going in there and offering help. It doesn't have to be a full committal to be a you know, counsellor or, or supervisor yeah. or anything like that. It could just be to have an informal chat. Here are some things that I've learned. That actually makes yeah. a big difference. And it can make, a, I say youngster, but I mean, new person in, into the industry. Yeah. Actually I, I, I spend about at least an hour every day on LinkedIn answering questions that people send me up via direct message. That's kind of what I do, just pointing people in the right direction. But at the same time, there's things like consulting on documents. So the RICS, they keep, they're always issuing documents for us, aren't they? And we might say, oh, that's a rubbish document. But if you haven't really consulted on it or contributed, then you can't really criticize when you've, had the, yeah. you've all had the opportunity. So I consult on everything. I mean, quite often they will listen. You know, things like the Red Book, I quite often manage to stick my oar in there. But anybody can do that. ASOC, APC candidate, all views are valid and welcome. So I would encourage everybody to look at the RICS um, I consult and look at all the documents there. And that's really useful experience to go in the diary. Yeah, absolutely. Then RICS have now offered all of their CPD. Yeah, that's why, I'm so, that's why I'm so busy. <laughs> <laughs> but I can never make your lovely women in surveying chats because I'm always doing some flipping webinar. It's a really difficult time for many people who aren't getting paid. Really difficult. It really is. And, you know, I'd, we just found out, I think I said to you in our uh, WhatsApp group, you know, um, a family friend died yesterday and he was only um, about my age and father of five. So that was just absolutely like a gut punch. You hear about it, but when it's somebody that you, you know, you had a drink with a few weeks ago, you think, oh my God. So it kind of puts things in perspective a little bit. 
It does. And I wonder for many of these APC graduates, trainees, new in, that's quite a shock for lots of them to come into oh. an industry you've trained. Yeah. All of a sudden, the industry just fallen through the floor. Well, it doesn't matter who you work for, they're all furloughing their graduate surveyors. So even the very biggest, you know, CBRE, GLL, Savills, they're the group that are perhaps producing the less, least widgets. So they're all on furlough. And of course, they're all absolutely panicking because a lot of them have got contracts that are restrictive as well in terms of when they become chartered. So I think there's going to be an awful lot of HR thinking needed to help get people through this difficult time. And I think what people really need to do is try and remain flexible. And those of us who run our own businesses, you know, we're used to blowing with the wind, aren't we? But for people who are used to a more corporate environment, uh, bums on seats at certain times, all this uncertainty is incredibly difficult and change management is difficult at the best of times in a traditional profession like ours. So we all of us need to be flexible or doing some work around, you know, trying to, we're thinking about what we can do to help deliver training with change management to help people suffer less anxiety about it. One of the things that's really helped me start to get through all of this, you know, as a small business, we're effective, we're affected, our training's gone through the floor. But one of the things that sort of is keeping us going is actually just that sense of purpose and why yeah. we do what we do. And that's why for us, things like the community are so important. Do we earn any money off it? No, we don't. <laughs> At some point, we'll earn some money. We do it because we love it and we know it'll make a difference to other people. And when things are better and rosier, you know, we've, hopefully we've got that loyalty and people will come back to us. That's a really great point, Marion. The European COVID economics seminar that I just listened to, all the speakers made the point that come the revolution, the kindness of people will be remembered. So those of us who've done things for free and, and stepped up and those acts of kindness will be remembered because in a time of heightened emotion, you remember everything. And then obviously we're going to have to become a lot more digital as well. What was the other thing they said? Be aware. That's right. They were talking about the curve being a U-shape to recover from this recession. So there'll be a bit of a flat bit before we go up again. And hopefully not a W-shape with a second steep recession. But it was extremely interesting to see that a lot of landlords are given rent holidays and things like that. Certainly that's something that we're doing at Housing Students to try and help our tenants through. But it's all about building customer relationships for the long haul. And right now it's a really difficult hit. But doing the right thing always has its own reward, doesn't it? So we'll get our reward in heaven, if not in this life, Marion. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, it's been really good to talk to you today. What a note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com. Bye.